those who make it are those who can be humble, who can be willing. And a lot of them have that beautiful gift of desperation. I was desperate. I was desperate to stop the aching and the burning hole in my soul. I was desperate. When I saw the light in the eyes of people who were walking in recovery and I listened to them laugh, I was like, what? So you can have all this horror in your life and all this shame and this guilt and this remorse, and you're sitting here laughing about it, and you have light in your eyes? I know what that is today. I have that light in my eyes. I get it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of Miss Paula R. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. This episode being number one, uh, uno, cinco, seis. Yes, that's episode 156 or episode 156 that you heard at the beginning of this episode and you will hear so much more from her in just a moment. But first things first, this episode that you got your ears bent to at this particular moment is brought to you by Laura. Do you want to know what Laura did? Well, let me fill you in on Laura's recent activity. She got out her PC or Mac or device or whatever she had, and she went to SoberSpeak.com, and she clicked on clicked on the little yellow donate tab as she made a contribution. Thank you so much, Ms. Laura. This episode is coming right out to you. I. John M. will happen to be, or happen, I happen to be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So just go ahead, sit back, take a seat around this virtual table here, and let's get started. If you are not in the super secret Facebook group, and you would like to be, just send me your email that is associated with your Facebook account to John. Send send that email to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and we will get you an invite out for that. There are tons of like-minded uh, folks in both AA and uh, all, all kinds of different rec- recovery programs in there, and we would love to have you in that group as well. And uh, if you're not following us on Instagram, 
I'm at SoberSpeak, all one word, and we would love to have you there. Good to be here with my tribe and my people. Um, So this week I was thinking about, I heard this read in a meeting that I was attending. And it was from, it was a quote from the big book. I think this is on page 25, could be 23, 24, but it's right in that area. And it says, if you were, yes, by the way, my daughter is coming into the room right now. Yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm in the middle of recording an episode. Do you need something, sweet girl? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this when I'm, <laughs> when I get out. Do you, can you say hi into the mic real quick? Just say hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Oh, oh what's wrong with your voice? <laughs> you you lost your voice. One. Just say hi. Hi. There you go. That's my don't, girl. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm not going to edit the first one out. Okay, I'll think about it. Okay, I love you. <laughs> okay, yes, that's fine. She's asking if a friend can spend the night, and she knows if she catches me while I'm doing something else, there's more of a chance, if you will, that she will get her request granted. Nonetheless, uh, what I was reading from was page 23, 24, 25 of the big book, Oh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, if you are seriously alcoholic as we were, We believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. Let me read that again, because I I really love that passage. It says, if you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. Two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. Now, there's a couple of pieces in here that I find actually very um, amusing, kind of funny. First of all, I think it's always great to bring to when you approach a new newcomer in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and you say to him and or her, uh, by the way, let me show you this part in the book. It says, if you're like me, you are beyond human aid. <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. That's that's not great news for somebody when they're a newcomer. You, my friend, are beyond human aid. And then the other piece was at the end here. It says, okay, we're giving you two choices. You can go on blotting out the consciousness of your intolerable situation best you can, or you can accept spiritual help. Now, at the face of it, that seems like a... It doesn't see it seems like a no-brainer, 
Right. Okay. I think I'll accept the uh, spiritual help because I don't want to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation. It reminds me, if you will, of a scene. Now, I've seen this clip before. It is from the, I believe it's from the 1950s. And I've always liked to study comedians and, and what they're about and, and how they act. And, you know, I, I am not one, but I like to study those guys and gals. And, and, and I just think they're absolutely amazing people. And this is from the 1950s, I believe. It was Jack Benny. Some of you are going to know that name. Some of you will not know his name. But Jack Benny was famous for being uh, uh, cheap, uh, being frugal, whatever you want to call it. He was going to hold on to his money no matter what. And it was very important to him in this character, basically, that he played. And there's a scene to where a, a robber or uh, whatever you want to call it, somebody, somebody who comes up to him in a park and they run up behind him and they have a gun and he runs up behind them and he points the gun at their back and he says the the famous line which you hear in a lot of mo- movies he says your money or your life and jack benny pauses for a second and finally the criminal says it again he says i just said your money or your life. And Jack Benny goes and he kind of puts his hand on his chin and he rubs it. He goes, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it's a great scene, right? Jack Benny is there and he has to think about it. Which is, which is more important to me, my money or my life? And on the face of it, you can tell that seems like a dumb decision that he has to make. But isn't it the same with this particular scene, with this particular line from the big book? What do I want to do? Blot out the consciousness of my intolerable situation? Or do I want to accept spiritual help? But we have people all the time coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's the type of decision that they're trying to make. Paula R. is with us today. Paula is a mother and she is a businesswoman from the Denver, Colorado area, and she has been sober since 20 years of age, since the uh, uh, since 1988. One of Paula's businesses, which I found very interesting, is hypnotherapy. I've been hypnotized, and while I, and I was just absolutely intrigued by it. So I asked a lot of questions about that, about this, whether you call it a skill, a talent, an occupation, whatever it is, but I wanted to talk to her more about that. We talk about JC. JC's the individual that picked her up while she was hitchhiking. And we talk about what an important, what, what an impact that had on Paula's life. We talk about the 11th step and how Paula practices that, practices that step in her walk. And she uses a method uh, with the, uh, what do you call that, an acronym, right? When you call it PRAY, P-R-A-Y, and she explains that. So buckle up, enjoy the ride, enjoy Miss Paula R, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. And now I'm going to go talk to my daughter a little more, see what's going on. (laughs) Bye-bye. One more thing I forgot about. My apologies. We're going to get to Paula R in just a moment, but you all 
Y'all have been sending me some absolutely fantastic music lately, which I absolutely love. And the I'm about to play for you a, a classical version, I guess is what you would call it, of Let Go and Let God. It's just a few seconds. And I absolutely love it. I got the slogans. Uh, a gentleman named Kamal, who is a listener, uh, sent this in, and a uh, another gentleman named Robert Lefevre or Lefevre, and they're over there in the United Kingdom. It, Robert, I believe, is the one who actually wrote the tracks, and I love these little slogans in a, like I said, a classical kind of form. So I'm going to play that for you real quick. Then on the back end, wait until the very end of the episode, and we will have more music from Jacob. Oh, and I played some music from him last week, and uh, I absolutely love it. I love his music. My family loves it. We've been playing it all the time. And so I'm going to have another track from him on the back end of this. And my understanding is that a gentleman named Jimmy Landry actually wrote the music, but Jacob has an incredible voice, and he is the one that is singing it. Uh, enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Paula R. And this time, you know, sometimes I say we're sitting here and I'm actually on a Zoom meeting or something like that. And so I'm not really sitting with the individual. But today I am fortunate enough to be sitting here with Miss Paula R. And y'all are going to be fortunate enough to hear her in just a moment. So Paula, first things first, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people what area of the country you live in. Great. Thank you so much, John, for having me. So my name is Paula R. I am here from Centennial, Colorado. It's a suburb of Denver, Colorado, and I have been sober since February 6th of 1988. 1988. It's 32 years. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Fantastic. All right, so let let me go ahead and set up how we ran into each other and why you're here today. Uh, so we, uh, or I, well, both of us were at a meeting here in the Frisco, Texas area about, I don't know, three, four months ago, something like that. Just before COVID. So okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a little while ago and we uh, were in that meeting and there was probably, I would say, 10 people there at the most. And you shared in a meeting and you had no idea that I have a podcast or anything like that. And, and, uh, so I'm just, I was listening to you and you shared and every once in a while, there's this little ding goes off in my head and I go, I've got to get that person on my podcast if they're willing. So, uh, we exchanged information, told you I had the podcast. Uh, uh you went back up to Denver, uh, the Denver area and, uh, we stayed in touch and then you are now here in this area. Tell, tell me, tell folks why you're here right now. So my daughter, my eldest daughter is 30 years old, and she moved here a couple of years ago. And a year ago, her and her husband had their first child. So we are here to celebrate my first granddaughter's first birthday. Oh, very cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do for, is there like anything in particular planned? You got a little party or anything like that? 
You know, not we are doing a little birthday party for her, and it's just a, a, a smaller gathering. Um, my younger daughter is here with me from Denver, and we flew out. We are holding a little family get-together with about 10, 12 people, and it's just going to be a wonderful little celebration to smash some cake and right. celebrate her first year. <laughs> That's great. That's exactly what we did with, in fact, you just met my daughter. Mm-hmm. What we did with her on her first birthday, we just got everybody together, and it was just, oh, you know, it was it was a great time. We did something very, very similar. And in this world of, you know, COVID, it's, you know, it's hard to have a big shindig anyway, so. That's true. I am um, actually, in July, just a few weeks ago, was my elder daughter's 30th birthday. So I was supposed to come out for that. And we canceled that trip um, because of the pandemic. And so we were able to celebrate her 30th birthday and my granddaughter's first birthday. So it's, it's kind of a special trip. For a couple of reasons. Oh, that's great. And yeah. so when do you, are you going back like at the end of this weekend or? In two days. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad I caught you while you were here. This absolutely worked out fantastic. All right. So uh, let's go into your story a little bit. I, I have heard you mention before, first of all, I just want to say this, and you all can't see Paula. Uh, you know, you're just going to get to hear her voice. But it's hard for me to believe that you have been sober 32 years, uh, because it looks like you're about 32 years old. Now, did you get sober when you were pretty young, I'm assuming? Yeah, I I was 20 years old when I came in the rooms. Um, I got sober in Sacramento, California. So yeah, I I, I was young. <laughs> so I've heard you mention before about getting sober and me like like there's a hitchhiker or you were a hitchhiker or something something of that nature. Can you talk take me through that? <laughs> so I, I I have to go back a little bit. I, I grew up amongst a family of alcoholics, restaurant bar people. So I started drinking at a very young age. I mean, this was just natural for my family conditioning. So I started drinking at around 12. First time I drank, I blacked out. I definitely (laughs) was quite the reckless blackout drinker. And I hitchhiked everywhere, everywhere. And... There's, and how was it in Sacramento at that time when you're hitchhiking? Was that a very safe endeavor? Well, actually, I, I grew up in Denver. Most of my drinking is in Denver. At 18 years old, I left Denver and I went to Job Corps in Utah. I completed the Job Corps program, which was kind of a the beginning of a turning point to recognize I might have more to life than restaurant and bar business and being an alcoholic. But when I graduated the Job Corps program, I moved to Sacramento. And I hadn't, I was really trying to stop live, living so recklessly. And so just, it was insanity, complete insanity, my drinking. And I couldn't drink without getting drunk. I couldn't drink without blacking out. And I did drink almost daily for that eight years from 12 to 20. So when I moved to Sacramento, the intention was to better myself. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to quit living like this. I'm a mess. And I wasn't all that successful. (laughs) So I went back to hitchhiking. I mean, it was a primary mode of transportation for me as a young, reckless teenager who was drunk all the time. Did you ever run into scary situations? 
you know, by the grace of God, I never, ever got in the wrong car. Really. I mean, it's, it's remarkable to me when I reflect back on so many blackouts and so much just incredibly reckless behavior that I never got hurt. So many close calls. And I hurt myself plenty. There was plenty of emotional harm, plenty of mental harm. Um, but no, no car accidents, no DUIs, no police, no bad pickups from somebody who picked me up hitchhiking. It's, it's remarkable, honestly. Wow. Okay. So you went, so you're, you're, so you're trying to get, you're trying to go, go down the right path, so to speak, not working out great. And then there's this one final hitchhiking incident or something. Is that right? Well, so I moved to Sacramento um, when I had a little bit of money from the Job Corps program. They give people what's called readjustment money. So I was in Job Corps for 18 months. And for every month that you're there, they save a little money for you. This is the Job Corps program for people who don't know is apartment, uh, a program from the Department of Labor, the United States government. It is for young people the ages 16 to 24. And their tagline is basically people for jobs, jobs for people. So I was a high school dropout. I went to Job Corps. I got my GED. I got certified with administrative clerical skills and a, a you know, clerk typist certificate at the time, 1986, 87. And I got my high school diploma. And when you are in the program that long, they had all that money they had saved for me for the 18 months, they hand you a check when you graduate. And that check is what moved me to California. And it bought me this old beater car that I didn't know how to drive. It was a stick shift. So I bought this little crappy car in Sacramento couldn't drive it. Thank God they have the lemon law. You've got 72 hours to return a car. So I took it back. And when I took the car back, I'm like, well, I need a ride. So I'm going to hitchhike. And I got picked up hitchhiking by a guy in Narcotics Anonymous. Mm. And he told me that he hadn't drank and he hadn't used drugs for about two or three years at the time. And my statement to him and I had known a, a little bit about the anonymous programs, but n not enough to speak to it. My statement to him was like, I really need to know some people who don't drink and who don't use drugs, because that's the only people I knew and the only people I migrated to. And he's like, well, we're a pretty good group of people. And he told me about how they had these camping trips and these raft trips and had they had dances. And he told me all of these fun things that people did without drugs and alcohol. So I was immediately attracted as a young 20-year-old girl. So we exchanged phone numbers, and he would call me. Like, Did he give you his Snapchat? Uh, they didn't have anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> we didn't even have cell phones yet. Guys. I'm just um, we definitely, we stayed in touch for a few months, actually. He would call me during the week and ask me if I wanted to try one of those meetings. And I, the, the meeting idea didn't really appeal to me at all, but I'd call him on the weekend. Hey, is there any of those like dances or anybody going on a raft <laughs> trip or a camping? And it was, I met him probably in November of 87. And it was probably, it was two or three months later when I hit a pretty hard bottom. It was a, the very first part of February of 1988, I had had a really bad night I was living with a dear friend of mine from high school and her mother in Sacramento. They had welcomed me into their home. And I got really drunk. I blacked out. I, I To this day, I don't know what I did. Um, she's still a friend of mine, thankfully, but she won't, she won't tell me what I did that night. 
Um, but I woke up the next morning being told I need to leave. I can't stay with them anymore. And I needed to leave that day. So I called the gentleman that picked me up hitchhiking. And I'm like, hey, you know, I, I think I need to try one of those meetings. And um, he did take me to my first meeting that day. Was it an NA or an AA meeting? NA, NA meeting. And um, it was pretty remarkable. I, remarkable. Like that, was a, that was Tuesday, uh, February 1st of 1988. So I've been sober since February 1st of 1988. But what happened that night after the meeting is we went to his house and, and had some coffee and um, everybody was kind of just doing some fellowshipping and hanging out and I was invited on a big motorcycle ride for that Saturday. And I went to the motorcycle ride, but between that, I don't know if, we, I don't remember if that was Monday or Tuesday night, I smoked more pot than I could probably even imagine. I was not drinking, but I was as high as I could be. <laughs> so on Thursday or Friday that week, I got a phone call from the gentleman that I was going to be riding with on the motorcycle ride. And he said, look, we're going to pick you up on Saturday morning at around 10. And I'm just going to ask you, please don't drink or do any drugs before we get there. And I remember, honestly, it's kind of funny. I was a little offended. I was like, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. What do you think I am? You know, <laughs> drug addict, right? <laughs> um, but I do remember waking up that Saturday morning and struggling not to get high. But I didn't. I didn't drink anything. I didn't do any drugs. They, these 10 very loud Harley Davidsons rolled up into my apartment complex and they picked me up. And they took me for a ride. We were in Sacramento. We went all up around Lake Tahoe and into a couple of little ghost towns. And then we rode back into Sacramento later in the day. Um, and I went to a meeting that night. I'd been going to meetings during the week with, with some of these people. But that night, um, February 6, 1988, um, we rolled into a very, very large speaker meeting and dance. And there was probably 200, 300 people there. It was huge. And I remember walking in the room and somebody asked me, you know, he, my friend was introducing me to the others, everybody, this is Paula. And someone asked me, so how long have you been clean? And I'd never been asked that question before. And it occurred to me that I'd been clean and sober that entire day. So I said one day, and, and honestly, that was such an impactful moment for me because I, I had an answer. I was clean and sober for a whole day. And it just, it really struck me that particular minute, you know, the whole day. <laughs> and I kind of got it. I'm like, oh, they collect time. <laughs> they like stay sober and they collect time, like continuous sobriety, right? So really just a very powerful day. That's great. Okay. So I, I also, I, I want to speak to you and I'm going to hop around here a little bit because mm -hmm. I'm kind of going up into... I think I'm about to cover 32 years all at one time because I know that you have a <clears throat> a business background, uh, or you're not a background. You're you're currently involved, and you, uh, you you're a businesswoman, is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And you've had some success in that arena. And so when when was it that you kind of figured out that you were going to start to 
did you always have that kind of a entrepreneurship kind of bug inside you? Did that develop sometime during sobriety? Talk to me a little bit about that. What a great question. So I'll just give you the, the quick timeline. Um, at 18 months sober, I met my husband. Two weeks later, I married him. <laughs> Three days before. Two weeks later. Two weeks later. <laughs> so um, well, well, hold on before you go. <laughs> there's plenty of these. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean there's other husbands as well? Is no. That, okay. No, he, there's, he, there's plenty of stories. He is and was my only husband. Okay. But it did, when it was two weeks, it was a whirlwind romance, obviously. It was love at first sight. It was powerful. It was beautiful. We got married. Um, we got pregnant very shortly after that. And then three days before our first child was born, he fell off of a two-story roof when he was working, and he was very seriously injured. He shattered his right heel bone. He broke his left wrist. He was in a seven-hour surgery the day before our daughter was born um, at a hospital in Folsom, California. We made the news. <laughs> um, I had to switch doctors the day before our daughter was born. Um, they had to pull bone marrow from his hip to put into his right foot um, with a plate and five bolts. It was a big deal. And the next day, our first daughter, Angel, was born, and... She and I went home the day after that, and he came home about three or four days after that. So needless to say, he wasn't there when she was born, but we were in the same hospital. Um, and he was pretty severely disabled for 18 months, and our whole plan was different. So, Oh, and you dealing with all of this at one time, oh you my just God, had a newborn. It was incredible. Newborn. I'm 22 years old. I've got a disabled husband. I've got a newborn. Our whole plan for him to build a business as a general contractor, I was going to stay home and raise children, was completely changed. Oh so I had a great job at the time, and I was on a maternity leave with my um, position with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It was a state job that they had a, an office in California processing student loans. So I had a six-month maternity leave, which was amazing because I was I had a paid maternity leave while I'm taking care of my baby and my husband. And I went back to work, and he really, really struggled with his recovery from this injury. He was on pain medication. He's a recovering addict. He got a very large settlement with a lot of money from the accident because it was a workers' comp claim. He used that money to buy a motorcycle. He decided to join an outlaw biker group at the time, biker club. For those of you who know anything um, about the lifestyle of an outlaw biker, it's, it's a tough lifestyle, and it doesn't really marry well with living a life of sobriety and recovery. So needless to say, things really started to struggle in our marriage. Um, I got pregnant. We had our second daughter. Um, we got separated during that pregnancy. It was one of our first separations. Well, the whole struggle was pretty tough. Um, he did not stay clean and sober. He ended up really deeply struggling with a meth addiction. So once our second daughter was born, I moved back to Colorado. That's home for me. Um, he stayed in... California. He tried to get clean and sober and used again and got sober again and drank again and got sober again. And, and uh, 
He was 98. So I was about 10 years sober when we officially got divorced. We were married for eight years. Um, I stayed in Colorado. He went back to California. And I raised both of my daughters as a single mom for 24 years. And, and during that time, I went. I used my clerical skills and I ended up in a job in the staffing industry, in the temporary staffing industry, and spent 16 years in that industry um, with a very successful progressive career. And it was just, a, it was a godsend. I was able to work in corporate America with corporate benefits, raising my children. Um, unfortunately, their dad wasn't a big part of that. He was really struggling. As, as those of you who are listening know, this disease is brutal. So he, he didn't get to be too much of a part of their life, which he's, you know, to give you the, the quick and dirty update 2020, he is now, I believe, eight years clean. Um, in 2012, he suffered a really severe motorcycle accident and lost his left leg. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right leg has a, <laughs> a bum heel, and the left leg's now gone, but he is clean. Um, has some struggles, but he's clean, and um, he's made some effort to try to recover his relationship with his daughters, which I appreciate. Um, and my girls are now grown, you know, but that, that career sustained me through a great deal. And just before my 20th sober anniversary, just before my 40th birthday, um, it was time to change careers. I was just no longer fulfilled. I was really struggling. And I started praying. I'm like, God, where do you want me to be? I know that this isn't it. I'm not supposed to be serving in corporate America. I, I am having a really hard time with the principles and integrity of corporate America. Um, I want to do something that is of service and yet still take care of my children and myself. Where do you want me to be? And in 2006, I met a hypnotherapist. I went to go see a hypnotherapist to talk to her about weight loss. <laughs> and this is after many prayers about God, where do you want me to be? And were you in Denver at this time? I was in Denver. And I met a beautiful hypnotherapist, and in my very first conversation with her, we had not done any sessions, I knew right away, just in talking with her, she had come from corporate America, she was a beautiful soul, she was helping people, she was making good money, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. And I'd sponsored women, and I had worked with people one-on-one through my recovery years, so it made so much sense to me. And that was in 2006. I went through all of my training in 2007 to become a hypnotherapist. And in 2008, I left corporate America and started my practice as a hypnotherapist. Okay, hold on just a second. I'm going to take a little break, and then I want to get back into that, okay? Okay, Sure. We will be continuing our conversation with Paula in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. And there you can find about eh, 150 plus other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes all right now back to paula all right so you're you you go through this hypnotherapy trick by the way you're not hypnotherapizing me while we're doing this <laughs> podcast 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be walking out of here like a chicken clucking or something like that, right? <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that question, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 you've seen the light, so to speak. You're moving out from the corporate world. What was it, first of all? What was it like when you? I, I would imagine that as scary as could be. You've had this corporate life a long time, and now you're moving out into like basically starting your own business, right? I started my own business, and it was scary as hell. Mm-hmm. It was a, a huge leap of faith. Um, gratefully, my 16 years in corporate America included a great deal of operational training and skill set, a lot of sales and management. Um, I knew a great deal about marketing and growing a successful business through that 16 years. And I have a great track record and many awards from my corporate background. So bringing in that skill set to a very spiritually conscious metaphysical business was something that was really, frankly, kind of rare. It's not something that too many people who have a metaphysical or a spiritually conscious business um, have a business background. So I feel very, very lucky. And what's interesting about that is that when I left corporate America, I badmouthed it for two or three years. Corporate America, <laughs> and they have no integrity. And, you know, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. I'll never go back. And the only part of that that I, I really can stand by today is that I'll never go back. The integrity and such of corporate America, now that I've owned a business for 13, 14 years, I can earnestly tell you that that skill set and that experience is absolutely invaluable. I'm so grateful <laughs> to those years now. So it's hindsight is just 2020, you know. Okay, so before we move on, I know you're going to have people listening to this mm-hmm. that are in that same seat. You know, they're in a kind of a decision-making phase regarding their career, and maybe even relationships or anything like that. Really, you can apply this to anything, right? Right. So I'm not asking you to give advice, so to speak, but when you have people that come up to you and you, and they say, Paula, you know, I'm just tired of the, the rat race uh, and I'm thinking about, you know, doing something on my own, wh- what is your general, uh, what kind of experience, strength, and hope do you share with them? Find something that you love and find a way to get paid for it. And God will provide. I mean, it's the truth. And I've walked many, many people out of their careers in corporate America. I've walked many, many people who own a business, manage a business, work in a corporate culture, find a way to apply spiritual principles to their professional life, whether that is changing a career, a relationship, a home, there are so many things that walking a path of spiritual principles will support. So from my perspective, if you walk a path that you are fulfilled by, that you feel is of high integrity, that you feel really suits your soul and is of high purpose, you're going to be successful. But it's, it's a matter of stepping away from the surface and looking at what do you love, what are you good at, and learning a way to apply that in your life, you know, and this is all of our affairs, right? Professional life, livelihood is one of our affairs. Right. So I, I feel really grateful and really honored to be able to say that I truly know I am walking the path I'm supposed to. Oh, very, and, you know, very few people mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. square up in the mirror 
and say that. Uh, and that's fantastic. All right. So you're, so let's go back to, so, so you, you, you started your, your business and kind of, kind of take me through the steps that occurred after that. So I started my hypnotherapy practice, and, and just to put it out there, you know, there's not a hypnotherapist out there who's going to make you cluck like a chicken, just to say that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's, from Paula's perspective, and I try to clarify this, there's a big difference between a hypnotist and a hypnotherapist. Most of the hypnotherapists that I've known, and many of them I love, really walk a very spiritual path of helping people to heal at a very soulful place. And there's, there's hypnotherapy that can just be suggestion and mindset and just starting to retrain your brain. And there's hypnotherapy that's really deep layers about healing what's in the wounds of the soul. And that's the work I do. I am a transpersonal hypnotherapist. So it's very different than just creating some suggestions or some pictures in the mind. I want to go in and figure out where did it all start? Where is the trauma? Where is the soul broken that really needs to be faced and addressed and healed? And part of that is because of my own walk, not only in recovery, but even in becoming a hypnotherapist, I went into so much deeper layers of healing soulfully and spiritually that it's, it's that limitless expansion we talk about. The healing I've experienced on my own is very different than what I experienced in my first 20 years of recovery. The last 12 years, recovery is still my foundation. Recovery is still my groundwork. Recovery is still my go-to. I still go to meetings. I still sponsor women. I still have a sponsor. That's my walk. My 11th step is my life, right? This is important to me. But as I apply all of this in my professional walk and work with many, many other people, um, some of them, yes, I've worked with people in recovery, but many people in the everyday, when you face the deeper traumas and the deeper soul difficulties, it's amazing how much more peaceful and clear and grounded your soul becomes in your walk. What is my purpose? You know, how do I overcome that fear? How do I quit being anxious or, you know, depressed or stuck, if you will? So the last 13 years uh, as a hypnotherapist have been just such an awakening for me, both personally and professionally. And one of the awakenings, and we kind of talked about this a little bit ago, has been coming with a business background into a metaphysical practice. I've understood some of the business foundational pieces, and I've married them with walking a spiritual walk. So I've known many other people with a spiritual business that didn't really understand the business background. So that's a place where I've gotten to help just literally hundreds of people and all over the world with their livelihood, with their professional walk, with their purpose. So that's been just so, so cool to get to share in this journey that way. Just, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and um, I am, you know, very much, I'm drawn in to you and your personality and how you convey things and how you articulate them and the purity in your soul. Uh, and I can see how you would be very good with it. And, and I want people to know, 
My guess is, okay, Paula, from this episode, I'm going to have people emailing me, asking me how I can, how they can get in touch with you. And I'm going to get them in touch with you, you know, but, and I try to maintain, just so folks know, on my end, I try to maintain, you know, like, uh, try to be sensitive to all the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm not endorsing this, but I never know where these interviews are going to go once we start, right? And to me, it's kind of cool because it's like when I'm in a speaker meeting and I hear somebody like you talking about hypnotherapy up at the podium and I can go up there. This is like, I can stop you and go, Whoa, 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 I want to know a little bit more about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this is, this is absolutely delightful. All right. So we talked on your, we talked about your business and what has been happening, uh, since the, all over these 32 years, we've just got a little bit of time left, but I mean, what else do you want to highlight during your time in recovery or what have we missed here? You know, I I think that the most important message that I live my life by and that I try to convey is that when you live your life, when you walk your walk from a path of spiritual principles and spiritual integrity, you know, love and honor who you are, Love and honor your God, whatever that is to you, and apply that in all areas of your life. You know, don't be nicer to the stranger than you are to your children. You know what I'm saying? Don't put more energy and time into being something for someone else, which could be a relationship or a business or even a friendship, than you do honoring what is God's will for you. When you walk that walk and you practice these principles in all of your affairs, you truly will be amazed before you are halfway through at how life just comes together. I'm I'm healthy. I am proud of myself. I live in such gratitude for the life that I have. I do have some just beautiful people in my life, um, family, friends, all of the like, um, but I feel peaceful. I do. I feel peaceful in my soul. And of course, not all the time. And every day is perfect. Yeah. But. So let's talk about that a little bit. You And, 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 and I get that. Mm-hmm. When things crop up like for you, mm-hmm. like resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and you're able to recognize them, what sort of tools, so to speak, do you use uh, from a spiritual sense to help you overcome those things? The tools that they teach us and the tools that I've practiced for many, many years, I, I pray, I take ownership when I recognize that, that some of these things are my mistake. Um, I take ownership when I recognize I'm in more fear than I am faith. You know, I, I work a pretty active 11th step. I face people. When Talk I've about that mistake. 11th step a little bit, because you've, you've mentioned that a couple times now. It's such a critical factor to me. In my recovery, um, I've had the same sponsor now for 19 years, and I really, really love this woman. And when I first met her, one of her requirements was an active daily 11th step. Really struggled the first few weeks. She threatened to fire me, so I got committed. Every day, I'm going to get quiet. But one of those synchronicities that I was talking about earlier, I, I promised her that I would get quiet every single morning before our next meeting. And I went to a barbecue over the weekend and there was a little book that was the acronym for PRAY, P-R-A-Y. 
And so I picked it up and it was P was praise, thank you. R is repent, ask to be forgiven and ask to have help forgiving others. A is ask, asking for guidance, asking to align your will with God's will, asking for whomever you love to be blessed. And Y is yield, which is surrender. And I use the third step prayer for that every day. But that right there, every single day is my practice, P-R-A-Y. And it was it was a lifesaver because it gave me a structure. I was kind of floundering with prayer. Let's go over that again, P-R-A-Y. What are the, what is P is for pray. Mm-hmm. Praise. Pray. Thank oh, you. Praise. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. That's your gratitude list. R, R is, is repent. Help me to forgive others and myself. A. Ask for guidance of your own thoughts and walk and blessings for those that you care about. And why is yield? Yield. I use the third step prayer for why every day. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, mm-hmm. but I wanted to get that. And mm-hmm. I thought if I want to get it, maybe somebody else may need to hear that as you well. Bet. So that's what you use as your guide mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Correct. The yield part, I, that's the part I guess that, that I think kind of caught me more than anything. So when, when you think about yielding, that's really like turning your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand it, right? Correct. I also wanted to talk to you about your spiritual background, right? I, I, I we just for for uh, they don't know this, and I'll go ahead and mention it. But we were in a meeting together just like an hour, hour and a half ago, whatever it may be, right? And I heard you talk about the ver- you you had. Uh, well, you had quite a mix uh, with your upbringing. Can you tell people about that mix that you experienced within your family? So I grew up with a Jewish grandfather, a Methodist grandmother. My stepfather was Baptist. My aunt was Catholic. So there was just this incredible mix of all these different walks and practices and beliefs. And I had no idea what that, did any of it mean? What was God? Because there were so many differences. So I was a pretty confused kid, to say the least. And there was a lot of alcoholism. So there wasn't um, anything that made sense. If there is God, then why are people so cruel? Why is there so much abuse? My my childhood was, was quite traumatic, and there was a great deal of abuse and, and neglect. And I really struggled with the God idea growing up, especially between you know the years that I was drinking, between 12 and 20. Um, one of the reasons I am sober today is at 20 years old, that morning when my friend told me to move out, um, I went outside, I was sitting on the patio, and my prayer was, God, if you are real, I need help. And, and actually, I'm not sure when that prayer was, it's kind of foggy, but it was somewhere before I got sober, because as I reflect there's, there's two significant reflections. First and foremost, that prayer led me to getting picked up hitchhiking. The second reflection is the guy that picked me up hitchhiking. His name was JC, which mm. I never connected or correlated in any way until I was 11 years sober that JC were the initials of something quite spiritual. And I was like, oh, huh. And, and I don't know if there's a, a true spiritual divinity to that, but I'm going to choose to believe so. Um, because it was so meaningful and so synchronistic when it did happen. Have you talked to JC since? I have not. I um, Interestingly enough, there's so many of these fun stories. My 25th sober anniversary, I was a speaker in Denver, 
And I spoke about the gentleman that took me for the ride for my first day sober. Um, he and I ended up dating. And I told this little story about him. And in that meeting in Denver, 25 years later, sat his sponsor from Sacramento, <laughs> who came up and, and talked to me and said, I know who you're talking about. He's a good friend of mine. Wow. Um, I can't wait to tell him, you know, that you're still sober. So I did reach out to him and connect and ask about JC and, and he'd lost touch with a few people. But, you know, from my perspective, he saved my life. So I'm pretty grateful for him. Well, JC, if you're out there and you're still listening, yeah. uh, your good deed turned into a, quite a wonderful lady here yeah. as time's moved on. And thank you, my friend. Yeah. I miss you. Yeah. So, okay, so you have that kind of a mix, that, that mutt, kind of a spiritual background. So, um, and uh, I'm always a little tentative to go into this with people, you know, during the podcast, but I'm just going to ask. So what did you end up forming as time moved on? How did that, how did that take shape for you? And has it changed over the years? What a great question. I call myself a spiritualist. I also call myself a Christian. And that comes from my early years as a hypnotherapist. And my first couple of years in hypnotherapy, I did a, a great deal of hypnotherapy sessions. And in one of those sessions, I had the most incredible spiritual white light experience um, that was definitely in my mind and in my spirit, no question, Jesus. And it was so incredible that I ended up getting baptized like two weeks later. So I got baptized in, when I was you know, 41 years old. And I am not your traditional Christian. I believe some things about the Bible that, that some might dispute. Um, I do not practice any specific religion, but I, I do believe in the light of the Christ. I do believe that all spiritual walks are loved. Um, one of my absolute favorite sayings as a spiritualist, because that's the title I like the best, is, is God doesn't care what you call him, he just wants you to call. So I, I did hear that in sobriety many, many years ago, but it's become kind of a mantra for me spiritually. So we're getting toward the end of our time, and I just want to make sure that you're able to... So look at it this way. Um, there are going to be people listening um, guaranteed in all four corners of the world. There's a lot of people who are uh, actually struggling um, as they're listening to this, and they're saying to themselves, uh, in essence, yeah, I believe this can work for Paula, but I'm not sure that it can work for me. If you were to speak to those people that are out there on the fringes, if you will, kind of struggling for this, and you just wanted to share not so much advice, but give experience, strength, and hope from your perspective, what would that look like? You know, don't close the door on any possible walk to get sober, but the only thing that I've ever seen work in 32 years is a spiritual walk. And I think that AA has made that so incredibly simplified. You know, learn. Learn what it is. It's never been easier in the world to learn 
how does AA work? There are Zoom meetings in all four corners of the world that you can simply sign into and listen and learn and decide, is it for you? Because, you know, this is a God of your understanding. No one's telling you how to do it. We're just telling you what's worked for us, and our success rate's pretty strong 85 years later. So try it. See how you feel. Join us, listen, learn, and then decide whether or not it's right for you. But I know that for me, it is my foundation and my walk, and I. it took me some building up, too. I had to learn what it was before I truly understood just how committed I am. I'm very grateful to say that when I got sober, I stayed sober, and I'm in love with walking this walk. And I, I, I just couldn't be more grateful that my life turned around as much as it did, because I, I would not be here. I, honest to God, did believe I would not be here did I not get sober and learn this way of life. Why do some people get it, Paula, and some not? I always struggle with that. I know you don't really know the answer to that, but uh, yeah. I don't know if you've given that any contemplation or thought. I've given it a lot of thought over the years because some people that I love a great deal have not only struggled but died, and it's painful. You know, I mean, losing my own husband and watching him struggle all those years was awful. He is someone that I love a lot. And we don't speak, we're not really friends, but I do care about his soul. He's a good soul. I have not met anyone who struggles with addiction that's not a good soul, quite frankly. I've seen them struggle with darkness. I've seen them struggle with evil. But the, the, the clincher to me, those who make it are those who can be humble, who can be willing. And a lot of them have that beautiful gift of desperation. I was desperate. I was desperate to stop the aching and the burning hole in my soul. I was desperate. And when I saw the light in the eyes of people who were walking in recovery and I listened to them laugh, I was like, what? So you can have all this horror in your life and all this shame and this guilt and this remorse, and you're sitting here laughing about it, and you have light in your eyes? I know what that is today. I have that light in my eyes. I get it. So it's, you know, be willing and be humble be open-minded, and just learn. Find out what it is. And, and hopefully, you know, that light will come to you too. God bless you. I'm going to wrap it up here with a reading from page 164 of the big book. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Paula, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Miss Paula, thank you so much for coming in here and spending some time with me today. Thanks so much, John. Truly, I'm honored. I really appreciate your time. God bless you. Thank you, Paula R. I love how you phrase that at the end uh, regarding the gift of desperation. And not only the gift of desperation, but also being able to have eventually that light in your eyes if you go down the right path. Absolutely enjoyed spending time with you. Thank you so much for coming in here and sharing your story. Now, by the way, if this episode 
was meaningful to you, please pause your device, whatever you may be on, and hit that little share button, share it with a friend and or a family member. It may, folks, be just what they need today. Now on to a little bit of a listener feedback for you. Uh, Jennifer writes in and she says, Hi, John M. I am happy to contribute to your most beautiful effort in helping alcoholics. I had sobriety for almost three years and I have been back out for four years. I keep trying at sobriety and I want it terribly, but I'm struggling. Your positive, upbeat messages are so awesome. Plus, this Southern girl loves your Texas twang. Do I have a twang? I know some of the people I bring in here definitely have a twang. Uh, um, I guess I have a twang. I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, she says, I grew up in North Carolina and I now live in New York City. I have one foot in. Just wish I had some fellowship here in New York City. Zoom is not the same when you're trying. Keep up the amazing, and all big capital works, uh, capital letters, work that you do, exclamation point, Jennifer M. Maybe next time when I'm all in, God bless and I pray soon, I'll email you my story. Well, let's hope you're all in now, Jennifer. Um, God bless you. Uh, uh, I, 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 I've been in that same situation where I had one foot in and one foot out. Wish I had some magical words that would get you all the way in, as we like to say here in Texas sometimes. Come all the way in and sit all the way down. We would love to have you in that position. God bless you, Jennifer. Nivia writes in, and Nivia says, I'm a grateful recovering addict. And then a big heart. I'm listening to your podcast. Awesome. In all big capital letters. I'm listening to Angie B parts one and two. And I love her. I know Angie B was fantastic. And she says, can you please share her email and Facebook, please? As you know, Nivia, I shared her uh, email with you. And then she goes on to say, uh, I have not heard or even been to an NA or an AA meeting in years. I may be judgmental. The meetings near me are not good. And now with this pandemic, only God knows when we will all be able to get together and share and support each other. I need some good meetings in my area, uh, even within 10 miles of my uh, 10 miles radius. I'm from Connecticut in New Haven. Well, you know, Ms. Nivea, uh, I, I'm not, I've been to Connecticut many times and I've actually been to New Haven, but I don't know what the meetings are like around there. Um, but my guess, when you start seeking, you shall find something. And uh, there are good Zoom meetings. I know it's not the same, uh, but give it a shot. She says, I'm so happy to have found your podcast, It brought, but it brought back a lot of feelings that I had buried. It's a good thing that they did. Now that I found you, I can continue to listen and keep it real. 
I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression. I don't get cravings to use drugs. Sometimes I do feel, though, like a dry drunk, sad face. Have a blessed day, and thank you again for your service. Well, Nivia, good luck finding a meeting out there, and thank you for writing in, and thank you for the kind, kind words. Kate writes in, and Kate says... I am a sometimes shaky alcoholic from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know what exactly that means. I'm a sometimes shaky alcoholic. I think it's about to be uh, revealed to us. She goes, I've been sobering up and down since June of 2019. I guess that means she kind of goes in and out of the program. My final sobriety date with God's help is May 20th of 2020. I work with my sponsor, attend meetings, and read the instruction manual. In the last years, I was a daily drinker, straight brandy at home alone. I worked worked the night shift at a small hotel. It's pretty quiet most nights, and so I have a lot of time to listen to speaker tapes. I just Google them. There are millions. You popped up a few days ago, and I like the format. I also like the accents of some of your speakers. There's that accent thing again. I think she's talking about the, oh yeah, here it is. I lived in the Addison Farmers Branch Garland area for 15 years. For those of you who don't know, that's in uh, Texas, uh, outside of Dallas. She says, I haven't listened to many of yours yet, so no favorites so far. I just listened to a couple of the latest ones and then started with the first episode. Well, you're going back there a while, Kate. I'm 62, born and raised in a small town in Wisconsin. I was widowed at 41. I have one daughter who is an RN in Chicago. I inherited two cats from my family members who were named Kitty. The vet named them Kitty 1 and Kitty 2 for paperwork purposes. But now I call them Fat Boy and Pretty Girl. Meow. I threw the meow in there. Anyway, I I think I was... Uh, I think I was born an alcoholic. Everything I did, I overcome. I overdid. I started with sugar, then food, and too bad it took so long to figure that out. I look forward to being admitted to the Super Secret Facebook group. And as I, I guess you know this, Kate. We sent you an invite, and I hope you're in there already. Well, if you would, Kate, give a fat boy and pretty girl my uh, best. And I appreciate you writing in. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for this particular episode. Um, Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I take this one week at a time. We'll probably be back next week, but we never know, right? God bless you. Love you guys. Thanks for writing in. Uh, You are what uh, brings me joy in life. Oh, 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 oh. I forgot. I need to put this piece of feedback on the end. And this is from a listener that wrote in from Sweden, Anna from Sweden. And I'm going to put that on. And then after you hear Anna from Sweden, I'm going to give you a little bit of music from a listener who has uh, just incredible talent. This listener, Jacob, 
He, we saw him in the super secret Facebook group and, and he just did an absolutely fantastic job of just singing some songs in there. I think one of them was like the wind beneath my wings and he was just singing in like a, a garage or an empty room or somewhere. And I was going, Oh my goodness, this guy should be on like, uh, America's got talent or should be famous or something like that. And I appreciated so much him posting that music in the super secret Facebook group. So I reached out to him. He's a listener. And I said, Hey, can we share some of your music? And he said, go right ahead. So I am going to tell you that we, that this is from him, Jacob and his producer and writer, Jimmy Landry, who came up with this music. So enjoy everybody. If you have any questions about the music or you want to give me some feedback on it, I would love to hear from you guys. Enjoy. Hi, I just want to say thank you so much for setting up this podcast. It really helps me a lot. I'm from Sweden. I'm 16 years sober and I found you, um, I don't know how, yeah, through a sponsee, I think. Uh, that also lives in Sweden. And my sponsor is from uh, Minnesota, St. Paul. And I have been spoken to her every week for the like last, I don't know, 10 years or so. And um, I just love to listen in to you because it's a way to check in, to hear the American language for me. Um, because, you know, when you hear your sponsor's voice in your head, it's like an American voice in my head. And in Sweden, I don't get so much of that through meetings. And also, sometimes when I go to meetings, it's like I've been listening to those people for a long time that attend the meetings that I go to. And the program isn't as big as it is in the States here in Sweden. But still, of course, there's lots of groups. So it also helps me to get some new influences into to my program and, and my recovery. And yeah, I just love it a lot. So I normally listen in the car on the way to work or when I'm out for a walk. And it always makes me check into to God and my inner self. Okay. 
December here in this home When will you come back to me? I'll never know I can pull you together When your world breaks you down You keep hanging on We can pull this together With the truth we found Hanging on, hanging on, hanging on All the years that go by We never get Outstanding face to face The next thing you know We're both upside down If we know where we're going We'll see yesterday We'll see yesterday 